everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. In this episode, you'll hear from Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, Lloyd Biddle, our senior associate pastor, and Nicole Kyle, our worship and music arts director, as they discuss how we've been thinking through our decisions in regards to the coronavirus, or COVID-19. Before we start this episode, I've got a couple updates on what's going on at High Point. First, our church office and all building activity is closed through at least April 6th, including our in-person services on Sunday mornings. We'll make another decision by April 6th if this should continue. Second, we'll keep live streaming our Sunday morning service until further notice. You can find this at highpointchurch.org live. Finally, this episode was recorded after the service on Sunday, March 15th, so some of the numbers in this episode are no longer accurate. For example, we are no longer having anyone come to services on Sundays. Instead, we are encouraging people to meet virtually or in groups less than 10. However, we still think that this conversation is helpful as we think about how the church should respond in situations like this. If you have any questions about what you heard, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Nicole. I am here with Nick, our lead pastor, and with Lloyd, our associate pastor, and uh, I'm the worship director. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we're doing at High Point Church as it relates to COVID-19. Hi, Lloyd. Hi, everyone. This is Lloyd. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm saying hello to myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's good to be with you. Yeah, this is Nick. I'm here. All right. So, um, Nick, why don't you start a little bit with talking through some of... And, and you've done this on other venues already in some ways, but why don't you talk a little bit about how we've been trying to think through what the church should do and how the church should respond. Yeah, so obviously there is... In each area of knowledge, there is uncertainty. So, if you, with with disease, especially contagion, a contagious disease, there's going to be spreading dynamics that you can't entirely control, and that you can't know exactly what's going to happen. You can understand how they work scientifically, but you can't necessarily know who's going to get what, what's going to get left where, how that's going to affect who, except for statistically. And then on the opposite side, in terms of the spiritual dynamics that people function in, that's also difficult. To know, so if you stop having church for a month, how many people will be lost permanently? Mm-hmm. How many people will be lost devastatingly? That is, they'll come back eventually, but they will have not walked with Christ for a while, and that will have very significant ramifications in their lives, and maybe for their children and their children's children. Right? These are mm-hmm. things you just can't know. And so one of the and so we, what we know is is that in contagious disease situations isolation the more isolation the better right mm-hmm. and so if that's all that mattered we would have single persons in completely isolated pods with absolutely no interaction between them that would be the best possible thing and in relationship to the gospel we would have people living with each other in communes like community is the is a strong emphasis in in terms of the interrelationship of the flock and so we end up with this issue that isolation is good medically in the situation of a contagion it's very bad spiritually morally and personally for Mm -hmm. social creatures like human beings and in the dynamics of how they're spiritual together and so um and it's one doctor for example emailed us recently and said listen the medical cost here can be catastrophic for people I agree. That's completely true. I think sometimes, though, people who are thinking in materialistic terms 
sometimes they don't realize that the spiritual effects on people is catastrophic. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if I function, if I'm functioning like an atheist, mm-hmm. then obviously every, nobody should talk to anybody ever. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in this situation, like, yeah, I use technology as much as you want, but don't ever go meet with anyone. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. And mm-hmm. I believe from more than 20 years of pastoral experience and observing human beings my whole life and seeing what they do when they're not around each other, that there is a, per, there's a portion of them that will be irre- irrevocably lost. And which is similar kind of the contagion because the contagion isn't going to hurt everyone. It touches, it's going to, there's a percentage of people susceptible to its harm. Similarly in social separation, there is a percentage of people susceptible to its harm mm-hmm. and, and it's impossible to quantify those exactly. And so that creates a, a bunch of trade-offs and difficulties that we have where I don't want to give mm-hmm. myself entirely one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And so th- these are the kinds of things we're struggling with as we're figuring out what to do. Right. And so there's, to sort of sum up the options here, right? There are some people who are like, we should do as little as possible be- until we know what's going on. And so there are some churches, for example, that had normal worship services this morning, right? And then there are some churches that just completely closed and they're not doing anything that isn't virtual, right? Right. And then what we tried to do was to say, okay, wait a second. I don't, we're not comfortable with either of those things. And so we've tried to come up with a way in which people can have a minimal amount of social contact that is necessary for human care, spiritually, morally, socially, spiritually. I think I said spiritually twice there. (laughs) And then secondly, to engage as much separation and social distancing as possible as to be medically responsible. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And as we've said, what we're going to do, we've got all kinds of different responses from people. Overwhelmingly positive. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're, it, the camp that says, look, we should just completely separate from each other because of the catastrophic things that can happen, There, there is a percentage of people who just feel like that's just what we should do, especially mm-hmm. in the very near short term for a couple of weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is a reasonable position. Mm-hmm. Is a reasonable position. Yeah. Nick, can I speak into that for a minute? Yeah. But for a pastor, it's just not practical. So um, this week, um, Wednesday, we have a person in our church that is at an assisted living facility who uh, is probably near death. And um, their spouse and I have been working closely together for some months now in terms of their care. Now, I was about to walk out to this meeting, and I told uh, Nellie, my administrative assistant, I said, I'm going to go. I'm pretty sure they're not going to let me in, but I just want to see what, what's the situation at this facility. And I go there, not, not a problem. I sign in as usual. They've got uh, Perel hand, hand sanitizer there. I clean my hands. I have to use the washroom, so I use the washroom, wash my hands carefully. And I go in and have a great visit and pray with this man. The very next day, his a wife calls me and tells me uh, it's, this facility is closed off. Hmm. So she can get in to see him, but that's pretty much it for her whole family. His small group can't minister to him. Now, listen. I know the risk of going into that facility when I went, but I was going. It was, it was important to minister to this person to, uh, at that time. Second situation, somebody comes to church this morning, uh, 60-ish plus, has got cancer issues, uh, mm. actually came to the wrong church. Uh, so I put him uh, in my car, took him to the right church, the pastor I know, and, and gave him some kind of instructions uh, uh, wa- uh, cleaned my hands with hand sanitizer, cleaned his hands with sanitizer, didn't fist bump him. But that's what I do. That's what I do. I pastor people. And so I don't want to be careless. I'm not going to be careless. I need to, I got two sons that need me for the time being spiritually. I'm not going to be careless. 
but I am going to serve Jesus. Mm. Yeah, I. The main issue is the issue of exponential um, contagion, right? That that especially with this disease, that you can have it. For a lot of people, it's not going to affect you very much. You'll have extremely minimal symptoms, and yet you're shedding virus everywhere you go. Um, some people think for up to 24 days. And so the opportunity to like be a, um, like a farmer sowing seed everywhere of this virus mm-hmm. is actually really high. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, one of the things that we're, we've been trying mm-hmm. to deal with here is that isolation is also catastrophic to a certain population. So Britt gave an example of this, right? Mm-hmm. She's meeting with like five or six young African-American boys mm-hmm. who had been leading a headed in a fairly self-destructive trajectory mm-hmm. and through constantly meeting with these five boys they're going to school mm-hmm. they're starting to make some good choices they're considering coming to church like really really cool stuff right she cannot take two months off from that mm-hmm. right that's not possible and to say well you know this could spread the disease and this could create catastrophic results yes that's true Turning these boys loose for two months can have catastrophic results too. Like, mm-hmm. it, this is a this is a problem. That's one of the mm-hmm. reasons why there are terrible decisions to be made mm-hmm. in catastrophic moments, and to narrow the field to say all that matters is the medical considerations mm-hmm. and physical life isn't a Christian view. Mm-hmm. Though we shouldn't we shouldn't be surprised for people who are pretty self possessed people. So some of the people that have pushed back and said, look, you just shouldn't do anything, are people that are very respectively self-possessed people. Like, they're not going to lose their faith in eight weeks, Mm -hmm. no matter what they do. Mm -hmm. And so, who cares if you don't have church? But, like, there are a lot of people, that's not true, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And and my concern as a pastor is is that I'm going to answer for that. Now, I Mm -hmm. I also believe I'm going to answer for if I unnecessarily endanger people's health and physicality mm-hmm. because I have lots of duties, not only my pastoral duty. I have, yep. I have responsibilities to my community too, right? Yep. Yeah. But I have to, I have to balance my space in these social justices that I am a part of. And I think that sometimes people who are not in the work of spiritual shepherding don't really understand the negative demonic evil and fleshly contagions that are constantly at epidemic level. Mm-hmm that we're dealing with every single day. And Mm -hmm. then when this happens medically, they're like, oh my gosh, we can't. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's true. They're right. But they sometimes act as though they don't really know, or they don't actually believe deeply in the, in just other kinds of destruction that human Mm -hmm. beings can fall into, or they don't think it can happen quickly. Mm -hmm. And as a pastor who has done this for a long time and worked with other pastors, Mm -hmm. it can happen very quickly and it can happen catastrophically spiritual spiritual breakdowns with people and so that's one of the reasons why we have not entirely capitulated to everything is technology and only technology Mm -hmm. in this in no groups whatsoever and part of it too is that even in places like washington that are that are at epidemic level they still haven't banned groups of 10 or less Right. So in some ways, we're we're still considerably more conservative than we're being asked to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and my my plan is to continue in that way. Yeah. We're recording this right now after our Sunday service on March 15th. So we just had our service. And at our service, there were, I think somebody said about 60 people total spread That's out throughout right. our entire sanctuary. Yep. Mm-hmm. Most people were sitting far from one another unless they were family members. Yep. We gave a lot of instruction on how to and how not to interact with one another yep. and uh, mm-hmm. encouraged following all the guidelines that we think or that even that the the cdc is recommending that other um outlets are recommending as well so i I think it's important to say that in the in the times that we are choosing to still gather we are still encouraging these healthy practices and even somebody sent us a picture from their small group meeting together and they did the same thing in their small group where Mm -hmm. spouses were sitting right next to each other but any pair of spouses were sitting far from another pair nicole can i speak into that quickly um so i was talking to uh one of my friends who a former elder at the church his name is frank and we were uh, three pew layers away from each other, probably 12 feet. But we had a wonderful conversation, mm-hmm. great fellowship about our families, about his ministry, my ministry, 15 minutes. Uh, and that's the kind of encouragement I needed. And I felt like that was the kind of encouragement he needed given the times. One mm-hmm. quick story, even non-Christians are getting together. So one of our deacons told me about her Christian daughter in Washington, D.C., and some women in this community have to work. Others are at home. Schools are closed. So these women, non-Christian and Christian, are getting together to watch each other's kids mm-hmm. and educate each other's kids, mm-hmm. uh, shifting through science and math and English. And so the, the world community, humanity is even coming together, knowing that there's risks of spreading disease, but feeling that community is more important and care and love for your fellow man is 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 more com- important uh, consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I think something that's important to also keep in in front of us in this is that part of loving one another in the midst of all this is going to be loving the person who vehemently disagrees with you mm-hmm. and still being able to care for them and to respect them. Like my husband and I are not in complete agreement on how we should proceed in this. But we have to also still, at the end of every day, come together and know that we are still for one another and partners with each other and that we are still united by Christ. And that's true for us and that's true for the entirety of the church right now. So I think I think this is an opportunity where we could see similar polarizing communities like we've seen with, with uh, politics that we need to fight against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's some folks that are not going to give up their partisanship during this, which is too. They're not going to give up their what their partisanship. Oh, yes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think that we we need to try to be as unifying as we can, right? You know, and I think we need to, we can we can respect people's conscience, and also we can actually even do what other people say to a certain extent, even if we don't agree. Mm-hmm. So, for a fact, if, if so, for example, if somebody says to me, Nick, you really should be telling people to meet virtually as much as possible. Well, I may or may not agree to the extent to which they mean that. Mm-hmm. So somebody, a couple people have said that should be all there is, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but I still can consider whether just because they feel that way, mm-hmm. whether, it, uh, you know, in their conscience and how they, that maybe we can do more of that. Right. And maybe the model that we do ends up being like, like I'm all for like mentors, like there's no reason you can't meet over Skype. Like mm-hmm. why not? Mm-hmm. It's I, like, yeah, it's. 
there is something somewhat insufficient of it. But like I was on hangouts with Jill and Aaron yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was fine. We could see each other's faces. Mm-hmm. Like we had a good interpersonal interaction. Mm-hmm. I think I could have, I think I could have counseled either of them in that context. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, Scott talked to me about like whether or not we should be meeting as a staff on site mm-hmm. during work hours. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, first of all, if Nicole didn't feel comfortable coming in, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But then also like, yeah, I mean, we don't have to be here. Like we really mm-hmm. could do more like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, one of the things we struggled with was we had a meeting a couple of days ago and we were all in the room together. We all heard everything exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And then I was still on Skype with Jill and Aaron for an hour straightening out the misunderstandings that happened when we were literally all in the same room. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there are limitations yeah. to conference calls and video chats and so on. Right. Yeah. And but, those are consistently, you're weighing the, the cost and benefit of the particular topic. Like you said, if, if right. it's like, is the mentoring one able to hit, if it's two people in that conference call, might they not miss some of the communication as opposed to 10 or 12 people in a room versus a call? I mean, like there's just mm-hmm. every situation is going to need to be considered uniquely. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the points my uh, Lloyd was saying was also, th- this is a, this is a classic case of, um, of uh, dispersed costs, concentrated benefits, right? Mm-hmm. So well, it's that dynamic. It's not literally that phenomenon. So for example, if somebody gets sick, there's a very concentrated problem there. Somebody has gotten this sick, it's a mm-hmm. weird disease, mm-hmm. and for a certain percentage of people, it has mm-hmm. a catastrophic effect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So do you shut down everything? Okay, well, if you shut down everything, right, there's mm-hmm. all these kids that go to school that aren't going to get fed, who are who are reliant on government food. That's a cost. It's not catastrophic, but it's a cost, right? Mm-hmm. People who wait tables at restaurants, nobody comes into the restaurant, they don't get shifts, they're not making any money. So you've got people who have relatively poor jobs who aren't making any money. What's the effect there? And, and, and you know, there's some of the kids that aren't going to be in school. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be young. Half of them are male. And they've got this pent-up energy. What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Some of them are going to commit crimes. Some of them are going to get in trouble. Some of them are going to do stuff that's mm-hmm. stupid, right? Children could be conceived and so on, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so good start, and bad things can happen, huh? Right, you, start going through, you start going through all these mm-hmm. different things that are the result of getting one thing, mm-hmm. right? So nobody talks to anybody. Everything's closed so that we have this result with disease. The problem is, is you, you get that concentrated benefit but you have dispersed costs you have all these different prices everybody in the society is paying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they are definitely paying those costs for the hoped benefit of somebody not getting sick and the same thing is true of the spiritual costs there are mm-hmm. all these dispersed spiritual costs mm-hmm. and it's really hard to take those into consideration so i think it's important to recognize one of the reasons that the government isn't saying you literally can't do everything and everything has to close yet or these some of these other mm-hmm. things is because what they recognize in the in the government is mm-hmm. they don't have one responsibility like a doctor has one responsibility get this person well right mm-hmm. there are other jobs where you don't have one responsibility you have mm-hmm. a multiplicity of responsibilities all weighing on each other mm-hmm. government is like that I would argue being a pastor is mm-hmm. partly like that because Amen. we have kind of a holistic effect on people's lives mm-hmm. there are some other jobs where you have that kind of responsibility you have lots of different things and the the government is trying to balance those things um, now. As I was saying before, the argument that maybe this one thing should be all there is right now is a reasonable argument. Mm-hmm. But the argument that we will definitely get all of these multiplicities of d- dispersed costs, and those all really do affect people's lives in very significant ways, and they are enormous costs when added up together, is also a very, very real thing. Right. And because of the human internal programming of empathy, we tend to focus on the one thing. 
and not be able to compute in our minds the dispersed costs. And that's why people governmentally do this all the time, where they're like, well, we should have so-and-so's law because this one girl died. Mm -hmm. And now 300 million people have to pay a little bit of a cost or this or that thing happens because you made that one law because you can see that one specific thing, right? And you don't really pay attention to the dispersed costs of Mm -hmm. it. And so in this case, I think that people, this spiritual effect on people is one of those dispersed costs, and it's a major cost. Mm-hmm. And I think that people like me, I'm responsible to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, like it's important to say too, that we're not seeing that as the only one either. And no. that there, I mean, there are going to be, whether it's a church or any organization that mm-hmm. will choose to see their one thing as the one thing and reject the, the responsibility to care for the physical and health needs of the community as well. That's it. That's just the reverse, but it's the same situation of not recognizing that they are all connected to one another. Nicole, can I speak into that? So one, one we have a, a number of uh, single people on our staff. Uh, one of them, their biggest concern is, man, I'm just going to be tremendously loyal if people just isolate themselves, even more than uh, lonely. I'm going to be tremendously lonely if people isolate themselves, even more than usual. And that's a significant cost, not only for her, but for her friends. And so as I've been talking to single small group leaders, I've been also been hearing that too. They're like, I've got time on my hand. What am I going to do? And so I'm I'm needing to counsel into that with Mm -hmm. caution Mm -hmm. to say, you need some fellowship in small groups. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say two things about that practically, right? Because I have some of these doctors I've been talking to ringing in my ears, right? Um, One is that, uh, it is possible to isolate with somebody mm-hmm. or with just a few people. Mm-hmm. So you can decide the four of us are going to get together through this thing. and But we're going to kind of isolate ourselves to the four of us right. so that if one of us gets sick, we all get sick maybe, but it doesn't get beyond us. Mm-hmm. Right? And we'll take care of each other if anybody needs it. But we, we are our circle and nothing gets outside this circle. Right. My sister and her husband and my husband, Scott, and I mm-hmm. have done that with our children right. in an mm-hmm. effort to help dispersed child care and but right. that's kind of the what we're doing right. you're taking yeah. yeah and the hope is is that if it gets in your circle it'll get you guys but it won't get outside your circle mm-hmm. and hopefully you'll also be able to isolate so it doesn't get into your circle right mm-hmm. yeah so i think you can you can do that kind of thing you can isolate a, uh, just a few people like that that's why i said the groups can be as small as two mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um I, I also think that it's important to recognize that um there is an awful lot you can do virtually mm-hmm. and when i say that i think some personal contact is necessary i don't want to minimize how we can maximize those virtual things right yeah. so i do think that i do think that when people are like we need to do as much as we can virtually i agree I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes they overestimate what can be accomplished virtually and that there are some areas of personal contact that are going to be necessary. Mm-hmm. But I think I do agree with that. And so I think us just like some of us don't use that kind of stuff all the time. Some young people, they, they use the face chat thing all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> FaceTime is just like, yes. right. especially in other cultures. When I go to places like India and in the East, like people just, they do FaceTime for phone calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my friends, that's, Especially if we used to live in the same city and we don't anymore. First choice is to do a FaceTime call rather than a phone call just because you see them and you can. Yeah. It's just, it's, it is and a it, different it is phenomenon. Better. You it do is that because better. it is better. Yeah. Right. Can, can I give an example of t- using technology? So my small group decided this past week that they're going to use a new app called WhatsApp. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a, a connecting kind of social app. So all of our group got signed up on it. So this Sunday, some of our folks are piping in via live stream. I happen to be one of the 60 people in the sanctuary. And so we're going back and forth. I'm like, man, this is a great sermon. The sermon was over. I send them my notes. I said, there's unedited, but here are my notes. And then I get a thumbs up and other folks are yeah. commenting. And then I send my message to a police officer friend of mine who wasn't at church and say, hey, man, you need to pipe into this. And, and so... We are using technology in ways that are helpful and stand in community. I right. felt like I was in community with my small group, and I just happened to be here at church. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that you can do more with technology when you're in a strange situation like this. Mm-hmm. Like I could I could care less about social media and all that stuff in normal life because yeah. I'm having a normal life and. I feel like I should be disciplined to deal with real people and stuff like that. But when this kind of weird thing happens, Mm -hmm. then I think you really can get some more of that contact kind of stuff through social media because the social media interactions are more meaningful because you're dealing with it on things that mean something as opposed to just sticking something in a feed because you're angry about it or because Mm -hmm. you think it's funny. Mm -hmm. So I I do think that there's potential there. And so what I want to say to people at High Point and people connect with us is, do use technology. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's not going to, that's not going to do what you need to do for your shut-ins. Mm-hmm. That's not going to, that's not going to do what you you need to do for some people that are very undisciplined and that if you don't call them and interact with them or maybe even right. see them, they're right. going to get lost. Right. Nick, can I speak about shut-ins just a minute? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the church's response. So uh, we have a, a shepherding plan whereby everybody in our church over age 70 is assigned a individual deacon, deaconess, or elder that cares for them. And uh, we have kind of operationalized that. So one of my last uh, duties uh, last night was just to remind the deacons and elders to reach out and contact these folks and see how they're doing so that if we have somebody who's in distress, we'll know about it and we can respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Are there any other things that were that you either of you want to talk about about things we're trying to do and prepare moving forward, particularly as it relates to how this is? A, we don't know how long this is going to last doing church in this manner. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that people should emotionally prepare themselves for this going on for a while. And by a while, I mean. If this was over in eight weeks, I'd be really pleased. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was still going in October, that wouldn't, I don't want to say it would surprise me. I think, I think that people are trying to do stuff to make that not happen, but we, we should not kid ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if a vaccine is 12 to 18 months away, then we could go through a whole nother flu season before we really have a lot of vaccines mm-hmm. to cover people. And so this whole thing could kind of die down now, but it could blow back up again in like in October or November. So I think we need to recognize that I don't think this will be a new normal forever but it could be a new normal for a while Mm -hmm. and so it's one of the reasons why people are like why don't you just cancel church just one week and i'm like because that's not what's going to happen yeah Mm. and uh, we need to be prepared so i I think it's important to recognize that like we may be living like this for a while Mm -hmm. and that it just is what it is um i think also christians should recognize that one of our duties is to our city and our the, the people around us and our neighbors and so we do need to be as much as we can on the strong edge of living responsibly in a time of pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like it's not, you're not just washing your hands because y- you want to stay clean and not get it yourself. Right. Y- like y- you may be a kind of person where you don't really care about that. You're young. You'll be fine. 
except that you'll be infecting other people for 14 to 24. Right. So like yeah. it's, you have a responsibility to others mm-hmm. to try to live in such a way as to not be infected. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause like I'm 42. Yeah. I'm sure this will hit me pretty good, but I'm not that worried about getting it. Mm-hmm. I have good respiration. Blah, 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 right. But I am doing all this stuff, not so much because I'm afraid, but because I don't want to be complicit in infecting right. other people. Right? right. I think also there are some things in terms of self-discipline. We live in a very undisciplined society and um, people do not sleep very well. But in terms of in- immunology, sleep is like basically the number one thing mm-hmm. to make you your immune system work properly. Mm-hmm. And so most adults need seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And they need a higher than 92% sleep efficiency, mm-hmm. meaning that you're actually asleep in your bed mm-hmm. for, the, mm-hmm. for more than 92% mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also the sleep you get earlier in the night, so from like 10 to midnight or 9 to midnight, mm-hmm. is worth more. I've heard in some cases it's worth like two hours mm-hmm. for every hour after mm-hmm. one o'clock. And so some people don't even go to bed till midnight. Right. Mm-hmm. And they want their immune systems to work. And you need to not do that. And I don't just mean young people. There are a lot of older people that plant themselves in front of the television. Mm-hmm. And then they like fall asleep at midnight in their recliner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, that's not a good way to be physically prepared if you get a virus like this. Mm-hmm. And so well, and I'd encourage people to really fo- to to be disciplined about their sleep. Mm-hmm. And sleep also has a big impact on emotional and mental well-being too. Mm-hmm. And so if we're talking about people who are at, are isolated right. and who are battling with feelings of depression in the midst of this, sleep mm-hmm. is also very helpful for that too. Right, mm-hmm. right. And yeah. one of the things I have to do is just maintain my physical exercise too. And so right. as I was driving to work this morning, as I was driving to church, I saw a number of people walking and running. And when I get done here, I'm going to the Princeton Club probably about 3 o'clock to get at least 45 minutes on the elliptical. Because I need that. I need that to strengthen me for this kind of service. So you are going to go to the gym? Yeah, I'm going. This will, this will be the third time that <laughs> yeah. I've gone since this kind of spiked yeah. the interest on this. Mm-hmm. And they're very safe. I go to a, a very popular club here in town. They've got, you know, they're cleaning every minute, wiping down counters, mm-hmm. a sanitizer all over the place. But there's a risk. Mm-hmm. But but a number of us are like, there's a risk that my health is going to go bad. So I got to work out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been opposed to paying to exercise. <laughs> so I don't really have to ask the question of whether or not I'm going to go to the gym to work out. But, but I mean, that means I'm going to like try and, cause th- these are the sorts of things that my husband is, tr- I, I do a terrible job of taking care of myself when I'm stressed and I've been very stressed mm-hmm. and, and I keep forgetting to eat meals and I'm sleeping poorly. And he's like, you got to exercise. Like you, you know, you need to do this. So I'm like trying to do pushups while my two year old is climbing on my back. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. how I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- this isn't necessarily too often. Like you were talking about pain exercise. One of my frustrations with gym is doing repetitive motions that don't accomplish anything. <laughs> so like you're, you're like expending all this human energy, yeah. but not working. Right. Mm-hmm. You're working out. Yeah. Which is different than working. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, I just have the hardest time with that. But listen, if you can, some people love the scheduling and that all the equipment is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God bless them. Yep. But like, so recently I've been going out and chopping wood, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I just, I love the feeling of accomplishing something while I'm doing it. And mm-hmm. it's yeah. close to my house. You like being outdoors too, don't you? I like you? being outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But, but yeah, you got to exercise. You got to mm-hmm. exercise. You got to mm-hmm. sleep. You got to eat well. Um, you know, Lex and I take the vitamins we've been instructed to take by the people helping us medically. Yeah. 
because that can help your immune system mm-hmm. some too. Right. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Chris, I think Christians should be as responsible as we can be mm-hmm. yes. as stewards of our body and the and as citizens in our city. And so right. don't be that Christian who's like, well, I think I'm going to heaven, so I don't care about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't hurt and, the witness of Christ in this yeah. particular environment. Amen. Yeah. Um, something that I'm excited about in the midst of this is just seeing these smaller groups worship together. Mm-hmm. Like it's funny cause like my, my job mainly is leading our times of worship on Sunday mornings when we're all together. And now my job could for the foreseeable future could look so different than that. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited about it. I'm, I had, even today I had different small groups email me and say, can we get the chord charts next week, which is what I want them to do. And they, they want to mm-hmm. lead the worship themselves or they want to play along with the video. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see what that is going to do to these smaller groups of them taking the ownership of leading one another in worshiping God. And I think they're going to, I think that we're going to see some really exciting and, and, um, encouraging benefits and growth from this dispersion of the church. One of the things uh, Nicole and I were joking about before we started this this uh, podcast was um, how worship was very minimalized here for the sixty folks that were here. You know, just uh, her at the keyboard, at the piano, uh, one other instrumentalist. But we had a wonderful time of worship. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, it really doesn't take all that to the worship the Lord. You can just come and sing. And rejoice and pray and share the word and mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. feel know that Christ was among you mm-hmm. and be encouraged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can all sit around and choose a song to sing, and just mm-hmm. like we sing "Happy Birthday" all the time without any instruments, You're right? Just sing that song. That's okay. And rejoice in this yes. "Happy Birthday" song, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Are there any other things? I think this has been a good discussion for us to have and hopefully for people to listen to. Are there any other closing things we want to say before we wrap this up here? No, just we're, uh, we're going to be, uh, there's like five or six doctors or more than that in our congregation. Mm-hmm. We keep consulting them mm-hmm. with what we're doing. Um, and the majority have said either that we have a great plan or that they think our plan is a little conservative. And so we've had one doctor who is very loosely, I mean, just came here a couple of mm-hmm. times, I think so that they think, the person thought we should be more conservative than we are. Um, but that's the, really the only one of the numerous doctors we've been talking to. So, um, as things change, if we get to community outbreak yeah, mm-hmm. here where the, the virus is spreading, they have no idea where, or how mm-hmm. it's not connected to people. We know that we're traveling and so on. And it looks like it is, has the potential to spike in this area. Then it's very possible. We will become more conservative. Mm-hmm. And be like groups of two mm-hmm. or three, um, literally, literally that many. And that's all. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I'm not saying we won't do that. Right. I'm just saying that um, we believe we're being conservative for where we're at right now. And we think that's good. Mm-hmm. So, and if we believe that God is leading us a different way and persuading us of something different, then we'll, we'll do something different. Yeah. So that's, that sounds good. Yeah. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.